From 1955 to 1975, a research facility in Maryland was host to chemical weapons tests ranging from THC to a chemical known as sarin, a nerve agent that can lead to respiratory failure or paralysis. These tests were conducted on animals at first, as most procedures do. But eventually, the Cold War need for the upper hand pushed scientists to begin testing on humans. And those humans were our own American soldiers. A lot of these tests were done without the participants' knowledge of what drugs they were getting. The effects were euphoric for some, but catastrophic for others. The man in charge claims to this day that these tests were necessary and did no harm, but that's not the whole story. This facility would become a voluntary prison for these men, one where they would be monitored and researched like monkeys. These men were misguided by the country they swore to protect in what a 1993 documentary appropriately called A Bad Trip to Edgewood. That is funny that just very serious accusations or not accusations, facts of what the government did and then the title. Welcome to the Gems of History podcast. Did you like the happy music after that dramatic intro read? Man. We're trying to switch things up and I don't know if it worked, but you let us know. Watch just listenership go through the roof. That's the one thing that's been holding us back. that we didn't do dramatic intro reads. Hello everyone, I'm Jacob Shop, and I'm here with Evan Roosh. We are both the two halves of the Gems of History podcast. Yes, yes. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Thank you for coming back if it's your if you're a recurring listener and welcome if it's uh if it's your first time. And if it's your first time, oh boy, do we got a doozy for you. Right? They just see our our little title art. It's like these guys probably have like some fun little topics. It's like, no, we're going to talk about how the government kind of abuse soldiers. <laughs> yeah, we've we've done some of this before, so it's nothing new around here, but yes, welcome. We're going to be talking today about Edgewood Arsenal, which did a bunch of experiments on our own soldiers yes usa usa <sighs> i gotta love it but it's we like to say this is mk ultra adjacent because it kind of went on around the same time mk ultra was going on and if you haven't listened to our mk ultra series we did two parts on that back in the day and so if you want to know more about that you can go back and listen but this is a little different it's got a different goal than mk ultra did but it's very similar in the scope that it should probably not have been done the way it was. Yeah, and this time in history, particularly military history, of course the Cold War era, but countries were just constantly looking for ways to one-up each other in terms of military strength, military advancements. And boy, did we do some things yeah, like we- this. Like I have some other examples that we can get into throughout the show, but literally anything possible there were no bad ideas from scientists nope (laughs) and they all got funded with like tens of millions of dollars it's pretty insane uh but this first episode we're going to be doing two parts on this the first episode we're going to be going through a lot of what the experiments actually were at edgewood arsenal and the second part is going to be we're they're taking it on the road that they do some overseas experiments and then they're the as i mentioned in the intro read there's a documentary called a bad trip to edgewood which was done in the 90s and features a lot of the actual video footage from these tests because it's very well video documented 
And we're going to talk about in the second episode a lot of the effects that these soldiers had to deal with throughout their lives after they left Edgewood. So, yeah, like a lot of these people are, you know, kind of telling their stories now. Yeah. For the first time. And the details and the scarring that you hear in their voices and just, of course, on their bodies, it's. Yeah, it's hard. It's, it's a hard lot. To watch. It's a lot of mental anguish for these men. Mm-hmm. But let's start off by getting into what Edgewood actually was, shall we? So, as we mentioned briefly in our episodes on MK Ultra, the Army's research into chemical warfare began out of a need for it. Uh, amidst the trench warfare going on during World War One, chemical weapons were becoming a staple. And German forces were beginning to hide liquid chlorine canisters that would release as a vapor, which would sweep across enemy lines and suffocate soldiers by the dozen. Eventually, that transitioned to mustard gas, uh, which is an irritant which causes painful blisters upon contact with the skin, in addition to damaging your eyes and your respiratory functions. Horrific way to die. Literally, Described in many cases, many eyewitness reports as some of the worst ways to die. Yep. This, and then there's Agent Orange, which is used in Vietnam, which like a lot of people try and hide the fact that we definitely did use usa usa so these chemical weapons are very brutal ways to go but once all this started happening the quote-unquote the gloves were off in 1941 a pharmacologist named alfred richards was appointed by president franklin delano roosevelt to head wartime medical research which included chemical weapons Shortly after he was appointed, Richard said that human testing would be necessary to learn how to prevent and treat the gas burns. Uh, But in his words, these tests would be nothing more than a, quote, trivial annoyance or disability, end quote. That's how how scientists always hide it. They pitch it as just these innocents. And when I say scientists always hide it in these specific cases, they try to hide it as it's like a medical experiment. Like, for example... In 1945, when we actually developed the atomic bomb, scientists conducted 400 different human radiation experiments to see how plutonium would affect bodies. And the first case actually came, someone was in a tragic or in a very serious car accident in Tennessee, and somehow these scientists got a hold of him and just dumped plutonium into him. Wow. As if your day wasn't going bad enough already, that you were just in a car accident, and then you just get swept up by the army. Yeah, and as you could probably guess, plutonium, not good. No. Even when you're standing next to it, especially not when you're injected with it. Oh, yeah. I, if you aren't following us on YouTube or TikTok, we, I did a short, a couple, like probably a month ago now, on the most radiated man in history, and he <laughs> was kept alive by scientists for 83 days, and he literally had no skin on his body, and they just kept giving him blood transfusions and because his white blood cells were gone from all the radiation. Right. So, it, oh man, it is brutal. And the article that I read was nice enough to not tell that there's going to be a full picture of him in a hospital bed with no skin. And I scrolled through and found that, so that was scarring for a few days. That's truly, (laughs) it's like when you first get the internet, well, I guess, like, our generation at least, like, we kind of came up with the internet, but, like, the first time we were allowed to, like, Google something, and, like, a pop-up of something freaky pops up, like, that's just one of those scaring, like, scarring moments. But the... Going back to Edgewood, the ultimate goal in Richard's case was to create a war without killing. They wanted to simply have a way to incapacitate the enemy or 
somehow make them non-lethal to you so that you could just come in and subdue them without having to shoot or bomb them. <laughs> just make them really sleepy and just uninterested in fighting, apparently. Yeah. So, I mean, it's good ideas, but... And by very sleepy, I mean kill them silently. <laughs> Eventually, the army took it upon themselves to build a gas chamber at Edgewood Arsenal in Maryland. And gas chamber has pretty bad connotations any way you look at it. I don't think there's ever been a positive example of a gas chamber. No, I don't think so. I mean, this gas chamber gave them fun drugs, but they just gave them like way too much. Way too much drugs. So it wasn't fun. I'm sure the first five seconds were probably pretty sick, but then once like three to four times of the quote-unquote normal dosage comes in, (laughs) that's when you start to be like, I kind of just want to go home. And you're in there with like nine other dudes. Oh my god, yeah. But this gas chamber was meant to replace an earlier model, so this new one was made of tile and brick and had a door made of thick metal salvaged from a World War I Navy ship, which left a porthole on the ship's window, or the door, as the sole window for the room. So it's the only way that they had to look at the outside world when they're inside this gas chamber. Jeez, man. It was a 9 by 9 room lit by only one 100-watt light bulb behind an explosion-proof shield. That's so much shorter and smaller than this basement that we're recording out of. That is insane. It's like a prison cell size. That is, yeah, with all those, oh my gosh. And there's a bunch of equipment inside like to monitor them, so there's not much room. And this is like early technology, so it's not even small equipment. It's not just an AirPod in the middle (laughs) of the floor. No more than seven men would be allowed in at a time, and the reason for only allowing seven men in wasn't because they wanted to expose fewer men to the chemicals, it was because scientists knew that if they put too many people in the room, it would disturb the concentration of the gases, making it unpredictable. So they wanted to make the gas more efficient rather than have more people exposed to it. Hey, we can call them out for all their sins, but dang, were they efficient. <laughs> <laughs> that They knew how. If you're going to be anything, be efficient. <laughs> yep. So a declassified report titled Gassing Chamber for Human Tests, Construction and Operation stated that the chamber was designed to run pretty much autonomously with an attendant only needed to manipulate the dials and observe the flow of the gas. Very efficient. It, that just makes me think of like the construction workers like building this chamber. Did they raise any questions? Like, or were they just like, this is all status quo? I imagine this is like H. H. Holmes building his murder castle, where he oh, hires like a bunch of construction workers, and then once they ask a question, he's like, "You're fired. I got a new guy." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get out of here. In a book written by one of the chief scientists at Edgewood, a man known as James S. Ketchum, titled. Chemical Warfare Secrets Almost Forgotten, Uh, then there's more after that, but I don't want to read the whole title because it's really long. He states that volunteers underwent thorough medical and psychiatric exams and placed into categories which determined how fit each man was for the dosage sizes available. Uh, And for the categories, they would have the lowest people in the test scores testing like equipment while the top 25% would be prepared for the most dangerous chemical tests, and the top 25% was known as the astronaut class. But these men were usually barely informed of their upcoming tests, and if they were informed at all, it was very general terms, and they would the people giving them these 
uh, waiver sheets, I guess you could call them, would replace terms such as medic or mental disturbance or unconsciousness with terms like discomfiture. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Not very thorough. Yeah, that is that's some legal legal jujitsu, if you will. It's like swapping words to make things technically legal, I guess. Yeah. Because I'm. I mean, there hasn't been like a huge lawsuit. As we gave a, them a warning. Yeah. I mean, there is a lawsuit. They, Ongoing. They're, they're trying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I should mention before I get any further, the the book that I mentioned, Chemical Warfare Secrets Almost Forgotten by Ke- James Ketchum, is one of the sources that I used. Also, The New Yorker just did a very good job. Uh, one of the reporters did a very thorough investigation on this case, did a lot of Freedom of Information Act requests, got a lot of these files declassified to read through. And they're all compiled on the New Yorker website, but you can only have one free article a day. So if you want to read through them, you either have to figure out a way to bypass that or just subscribe for a little bit and read all of them, which is what I did. But I always kind of laugh at the Freedom of Information Act because like you do have to request information about very specific things. Yeah. There's probably just one intern that like, is monitoring these incoming requests. And once he like hands it to his boss, I'm just picturing the boss like, please don't be a big one. Please don't be a big one. Please don't be a big one. Or like, please don't be Edgewood. Please don't be Edgewood. Please, please don't, don't be, be something I was involved in. Yeah. <laughs> but the articles on the New Yorker website were written. I don't remember his first name, but his last name is Catchatorian. He was the reporter that did all the research. So if you want to read him, I would highly recommend it. He did a very good job compiling all the information. But Ketchum goes on to include in his book the fact that more comfortable air-conditioned barracks were offered in addition to more comprehensive physical examinations for these volunteer men who were coming to Edgewood. In a study done by the National Academy of Sciences in 1993, it stated that many of the men who participated in the tests were told that they were volunteering to test summer clothing in exchange for more leave time. Others were told that they would be given three-day weekends while on temporary duty at Edgewood, and Ketchum also made sure to state that any man could change their mind at any time. Right. When these volunteers, quote-unquote, were pitched this experiment to participate, like, why wouldn't you do that? Right. You're avoiding Vietnam. Right. Like, <laughs> right. The, what else? What other incentive do you need? Yeah. You don't have to hear, like, CCR every day in Vietnam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ba-dow. Ba-dow. But as we'll see, the... Uh, the men could change their mind at any time. It doesn't really work that way. Because so. the scientists changed their mind already yeah. via drugs. But back to the gas chamber, the process was detailed. You never want to hear use. that. You yeah. never want to hear that sentence. Back to the, the gas, gas chamber. <laughs> the process for using it was quite detailed. The men would not be told until they arrived at the test location that they would be doing a gas chamber test. So off to a good start. And even then, most of the men would not be told what they would be exposed to while inside the gas chamber. Once ready to enter, the men would be told to line up single file. Sometimes they would be in protective clothing, while other times they would be naked. They would then run single file into the room, ensuring that the door remained open for no more than five seconds, because too much gas would dissipate if it was open any longer. The men inside would then be exposed to the gas for an indeterminate amount of time, and at about 10 seconds left in the test, an attendant would bang on the door signaling for the men to come out. Classified reports say that there were handles on both sides of the door, but it wasn't clear if the inner handle worked. Yeah, there's no way the inner handle works, because 
you like people on drugs like they don't have why wouldn't they want to get out like if they're having like a bad trip or a bad time they see a door handle yeah you pull on the door you pull on the door handle yeah most there's another report that said like yeah there's try like people tried to use that handle and didn't work most of the time so i'm gonna just go ahead and assume that never was supposed to work Right, it's definitely one of those things. It's like, oh, sorry, it's actually undergoing maintenance today, and maintenance requests take 20 years. It's a FOIA request, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Some of these tests were designed to prote- test protective clothing, and these tests were known as, quote, man-break tests. The men would be suited in protective clothing and gas masks and sent into the chamber for anywhere between one to two hours. And it wouldn't always just be the gas that they would have to contend with while inside, because the heat and the humidity would be controlled as well to simulate jungle temperatures for Vietnam. So this is where the summer shirt comes in. (laughs) This is where the cabana shirt was born. Yeah, and this is where the Tommy Bahama, yeah. Afterwards, the men could take the gas mask off, but they had to keep the clothes on for up to a day, because the men would be re-examined, and if they were found to have no burns on them... They would be sent back into the gas chamber until they did have burns, some of which would cause tissue damage that took over a month to heal. That's such a deep burn. Yeah. And from gas, like you're going in, you come out and you're one of the lucky ones that isn't burned immediately back in. Right. You almost have to like injure yourself just to be like, just to not have to go back in. Just hope for like a little burn, like. You don't want to be sent back in, and then your whole arm is just covered in radiation right. burns or whatever. One of them just brings in a Zippo and just quickly <laughs> yeah, just roll right. off the top. Once again, according to the National Academy of Sciences, quote, those who became sick during the, quote, man-break tests reported being threatened with court-martial if they did not continue the test and re-enter the gas chambers. Some even reported that they saw other subjects collapse in the chamber and that they never saw these men again after they were removed from the chamber. In all such cases, the men reported that they had assumed the person had died. Other men recalled that the chamber door could not be opened from the inside and that this frightened them by making them feel trapped. End quote. Right. These are just true quotes from people that were in this and still scientists deny, oh, we did nothing wrong. Yeah, we didn't. We, this was all voluntary. You know, There was a handle. <laughs> <laughs> it we, was there. Yeah. It's like we took all the necessary precautions. We just forgot to unlock it. So as we mentioned earlier, maybe it wasn't so easy to refuse to participate in these tests. Right. And that you, whole changing your mind thing sounds good on paper. Yeah. If you change your mind, you lose your career with a court martial. Yeah. Like, and then you're literally dishonorably discharged you can't find a job anywhere else your country looks at you like a failure right it's not good by february of 1945 the chief of the chemical corps medical division had sent out letters to more than 1,000 soldiers thanking them for their participation but that wasn't where it was going to stop so by 1945 there was already a thousand soldiers that were being thanked so the scope only gets bigger from here so Right, that was the pilot. That was the beta testing. Yeah. Now they have like the groundwork and the framework to really take it to a whole other level. Yeah, that a whole other level thing. And that they do. Once it was discovered that the Germans were in possession of ner- nerve agents such as sarin gas. <laughs> what? You just said nerd agents. <laughs> 
So I'm just picturing like this gas just turns everyone dorky. Um, um, excuse me. Um, they actually are so dork they outsmart the scientists. They actually, fix they fix the door. Yeah, they fix yeah. the door. <laughs> Damn it! We shouldn't have given them the nerd, nerd gas. <laughs> But once it was discovered that the Germans were in possession of nerve agents such as sarin gas, an odorless and tasteless chemical that can kill fairly easily, Edgewood decided they needed to find a way to combat it. Between July 1947 and 1948 alone, there were seven recorded cases of test subject casualties in nerve gas testing. However, the gas did not hold its lethality well because it evaporated easily. So the army tried to make it more lethal by fusing it with plastic, but it didn't work. Then the army said, you know what? Let's just make a new one. That's just too <laughs> And then they developed their own nerve agent known as VX, which was 100 times more deadly than sarin gas when applied to the skin. It's, it's like 10 more times probably would be able to incapacitate like, oh, the yeah. original goal. Yeah. I mean... So there was a cult in Japan known as Amshadrikyo, and one of their goals was to commit a sarin gas attack on the train lines, and they killed like 50 people, I want to say, maybe less, but if they, because they, they really like were not good at what they were trying to do, mm -hmm. so it didn't go well, but if they would have gone through with their plan like to the T, they would have killed thousands of people with sarin gas on like, these trains. Instantly. Yeah. And now they, the army created a gas that's, a hundred times more deadly that. than that. It's like, how dead do you need to make someone? It, it, <laughs> like, how much more and these concentrate? these are, like, the worst kind of death, too. Like, your right. entire body literally just shuts down. Yeah, like, you're, it, it doesn't affect the outside at, no. like, as much as other nerve agents or, like, chemical gases, like mustard and Agent Orange. But, like, it just tears you apart from the inside yeah. out. It's so bad. Ugh. Just imagine your insides randomly being on fire. But despite this, one of the doctors on the staff volunteered to test VX. His blood pressure dropped, his breathing became slightly more labored, and he started to get a headache. Then, nausea and vomiting followed by thrashing and irrational behavior. And after testing it, it was found that the neck was the most dangerous place to administer VX, and the buttocks were the safest place. I don't know how they found that out, but... I, kind of ironic. I mean, one has a hole, one doesn't. Yeah, tr <laughs> true. True. <laughs> <laughs> Your face there. Like, the first true was probably just like an auto instinct. By now not, that, you've, that you've developed when I say something silly. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the early testing wasn't clinical trials. It was kind of just like off the cuff giving someone a drug. And... Once, eight, once 1956 rolled around, Army researchers began to put more emphasis on testing other drugs, such as LSD, as possible psychochemical weapons. So, if you've ever taken acid from everything that I know about it, everyone has different reactions to it. And that's exactly what they found when they gave a bunch of soldiers acid. <laughs> and they're like, wow, these guys react very differently depending on who they are. It's like... Yeah, yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> yeah, because everyone's minds are different, yeah. and this is a mind-changing drug. It's literally supposed to make you feel completely detached from like reality. Some of the men found it pleasant, while others became deeply paranoid. 
And in interviews about their experiences, one soldier had a testimony that he did not want to return to the real world after being in such a beautiful one, while another said that he lunged at a doctor for no reason with all intent to kill him. Oh, man. So varying reactions. Very different, like North and South Pole different. One man described drinking water while on LSD as, quote, it felt as if the water was going down in a right, left, halting, circuitous fashion, and that any, move, any moment it would decide that it could not go down at all, not because of any feeling of nausea, but because it seemed as though the water was getting lost and it would have to come back. End quote. That is the highest thing or highest sentence I've ever heard. Like, the water, the water was deciding its own like, path yeah, through man, his intestines. Like, the water just wanted to like be its own person, dude. Who am I to control this Aquafina that it, I just? It was heard. just like flowing, bro. You know. And then in the seventies, people were like, "How did all these hippies get here?" Yeah. <laughs> and then after the seventies, everyone was like, "Man, that sucked." Yeah. <laughs> LSD testing continued till around 1967, even after the army had decided not to use it as a weapon. And at some point, they had switched to PCP, which was unwittingly used on soldiers and quickly showed that it had adverse effects on some people. Many became manic and aggressive. Others were given the drug and told to run through obstacle courses, believing themselves to have an undeserved physical fortitude. So I'm going to show you a recording of this, then I'll put the audio into the recording afterwards like a recording of at the actual experiment yep. center again this is all just readily available and we don't talk about it. yeah the the bad trip to edgewood documentary is on youtube so if you guys want to watch this you can but i'll put the audio in for you guys to listen to the chemical involved was pcp better known today as the dangerous and illegal drug angel dust he felt compelled to disobey his instructions not to touch the platform when he jumped. Although his vision was not impaired, he found it difficult to focus his attention on the next objective. <laughs> his physical that. actions were noticeably slower. <laughs> He's literally just slow. Like, his this motor is coordination a was disrupted because of the compound's effect. Oh my PCP gosh. PCP gives the subject the delusion of unnatural strength. How do you feel? I feel pretty good, sir. Do you? Are you cold? Uh, no, I'm not cold at all. Are you tired? No, I'm not tired. Well, I could run. You could do some I, work, right? Yes, sir. I could run. I run 100 miles right now. Is that right? That's pretty, right. Pretty pepped up, huh? Uh-huh. I run through pretty it. Pretty pepped up, huh? And now I feel good. And I'm not tired, and I can run through it again. You see what I mean? Yeah, hardly. Uh, did Sergeant Ditchkiss give you any uh, instructions about what you were supposed to do tomorrow? Uh, Sergeant Ditchkiss? Uh, uh, yes. Let me see. What was I supposed to do tomorrow? Uh... Hopefully take a nap. Tomorrow? <laughs> Stop what, being on today's drugs. Today's Thursday? Today's Thursday, Today's Thursday, uh-huh. Well, tomorrow... Oh, uh, wait a minute here. 
Yeah, he gets pretty just like he he just like starts getting naked. He like lose he lost a button on his shirt and he's just like, oh no, oh, oh my gosh, my button's gone. And they're like, yeah, the button's gone, it's fine. Probably and then he just super. like wanders off. Oh wow. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. You can definitely see that it wasn't effective. Yeah. (laughs) But he thought he was doing great. Yeah, he thought, yeah. He's like, I can run 100 miles, sir. I do love that the general, whoever was interviewing him, when he asked, uh, um, or I think the soldier asked, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or something like, do you understand me? And the sober, like, general or whoever just gives him some sass, like, well, hardly, but. Yeah. Oh, he was not doing great, no, but he's he just, just <laughs> I love that he just like falls over the top of the, the obstacles and stuff. Right, he keeps on like looking over like, can I do this? But in his mind, he's probably just. Oh, he's rushing. killing it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was around this time uh, that the physic or the psychochemical testing reached its heaviest use that Colonel James Ketchum officially joined the army. So Ketchum was approaching his graduation from Cornell University Medical College in 1955. And at this time, he was approached by an army recruiter to finish his last year of college with full benefits and pay from the army. Ketchum was a man perpetually low on money, so the offer was too much for him to turn down. I feel that. Yeah. I feel that. Same. If someone offers me like a steady amount of cash coming in to just finish school, I'm probably going to take it. Yeah, I'll sign that dotted line. Ketchum immediately began his odd experiments once opening a cat's brain and attaching electrodes to it to try and see if he could give the cat a new way to communicate. You can just speak like Airbud. <laughs> or I guess Airbud can speak, but could just start speaking. He, he yeah. could communicate, yes. Uh, Ketchum then left to go play tennis, expecting a vet to care for the animal, but he came back to the lab a week later and found that the cat was dying of infection. So he took it into a bathtub full of cold water to try and treat the cat, but it eventually died. Mr. Fluffy, no! (laughs) Eventually, he got word of Edgewood and saw it as an opportunity to prove his worth after multiple failed research attempts in other areas. See, example, cat. (laughs) Example C for cat. That is kind of crazy. Like, again, these scientists see these types of experiments as opportunities to further their career. Like we saw this in numerous cases, especially with uh, the Nazi scientists that we effectively brought over. And like to them, they were getting like a new shot with new experiments. Yeah, they and just not punished for war crimes. They just wiped. They literally took their sheets that said Nazi and wrote not Nazi <laughs> with like the winky tongue emoji. Like that literally happened, people. Yeah, good times. Your government loves using Nazis. Ketchum quickly became one of the most important men around Edgewood and was overseeing most of the testing with the goal of recording the tests on video to make a movie of the results. And that's where we get a lot of the video evidence of this stuff from, is from his recordings. That is kind of funny that they were just recording it. Well, he thought that he was going to have like a huge breakthrough and create like a war without killing. So right, he, right. In his mind, this was all going to be like his golden egg of... Look what I did. Totally. I was the one that did this. Yeah, totally, totally. And then it just turns out, oh, he's kind of record you being a dick. Yeah, we kind of have evidence that you did a lot of bad stuff here. The but prosecutors he- were just like, this is an alley-oop. <laughs> <laughs> but Ketchum saw this as a psychiatric opportunity. This is very much a story of the uh, paving the road to hell with your good intent, but it didn't really work for him at all. 
even though he still unapologetically defended the chemical warfare research, believing that it was much better than, or it was a much better alternative to guns and mortars. I believe he died in like 2009 or so, but yeah, he never really stopped defending uh, what he did. I mean, we see that all the time, um, just with throughout history. I mean, we when we talked about the bomber mafia and the incendiary bombings, like the general who was in charge of said bombings, it's like, yeah, we did nothing wrong. Oh, he got awarded by yeah, Jap- by Japanese also, officials. So. He also got awarded. That is true. <laughs> uh, in one case from 2002, Ketchum spoke about the Russian government's decision to flood a theater in Moscow with an incapacitating drug when Chechen rebels took the theater and 800 people inside hostage. The gas did debilitate the rebels, which allowed the special forces to come in and take them out, but it also killed over 100 people. And Ketchum, in response... Saved 700, though. (laughs) That's Ketchum, in response, stated, quote, they, as in skeptics, say, look, 130 people died. Well, I think that 130 is better than 800, and it's also better as a secondary consideration not to have to blow up a beautiful theater. End quote. I mean, I think we've said it already multiple times throughout our episodes. Like, they always find, like, scientists always find a silver lining. He's not technically wrong, but, but <laughs> like, it's that classic, like, if you're in charge of steering a train and there's one person on one track and, like, 700 on the other track, which way do you turn the train? Right. You know? On a talk show, Ketchum went on to say that the experiments conducted at Edgewood were no more problematic than civilian drug tests at the time. What do you mean, like civilians just doing drugs by themselves? Like taking like experimental drugs oh. as like a, a process to get the drug better or whatever. He, he sure. said like, we weren't doing anything any worse than that. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. We were they were it. giving them proper dosages of yeah. those drugs in an <laughs> right. effort to make them better. Right. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys giving them multiple times more LSD than they needed is the same. Right. Like my guy, one is for curing the cold or like leaving systems for like a little like allergies. Yeah. A little bit different. Ketchum became embroiled in all of the tests observing whenever he could. If he was awake early or couldn't sleep late at night, he would walk around the barracks and watch the drug testers as they experienced delirium on who knows what drugs. He missed most of the sarin gas testing, which is probably good, because sarin is a chemical that is about 25 times as deadly as cyanide that can be made into an aerosol fairly easily, which we mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. But that just gives you a scope of how deadly sarin is, and then they made another gas that was 100 times stronger than that, so... Do we know, like, how does sarin, like, sarin is just created in a lab, yeah. right? man-made. Like, who just, it's just mind-boggling to me as well, like, the actual ability and know-how to create that. Yeah. Like, you have to have such a firm grasp on elements and different properties, so it is, like, a technological advancement, I guess, but I mean, it's so like LS- worst. So is LSD. I mean, right. all of these drugs pretty much are man-made. Right. So, <laughs> it's, it's pretty insane. You know? Marijuana is the only one that uh, was a man-made. That is and... true, but they, they tested that as well. So, <laughs> In the sarin gas tests, accidental exposure affected seven technicians in one year, and when given to healthy volunteers in water over three days, some were severely poisoned and twitched, vomited, and had trouble breathing. 
The cognitive side effects, in addition to the physical side effects, were just as bad because some had nightmares or became depressed, while others had initial giddy reactions, but slowly became deeply anxious. Yeah, the first five five hours, pretty tight. Yeah. Next, I can hear the devil. <laughs> and Saren wasn't the worst. As we mentioned, VX was introduced shortly after, and that was also tested on Edgewood volunteers in one example. An officer drew a small circle on a test subject's arm, and then a doctor would put a drop of liquid on that spot with a syringe, which was the VX chemical. As the effects rapidly kicked in, this particular test subject heard other men exclaiming things like, Oh shit! But he quickly dissociated from all that, and the subject was eventually given utensils to eat with, but he didn't know how to use them. And he stated that he felt helpless, and as the test went on, his body seized and tensed up while his nerves felt like they were being crushed in a vice. Oh, man. And there's just nothing you can do about it. No, either. you, you just, just got to let it wear off. Yeah, like, that. I mean, that's just drugs. You have to just wait till they... Not speaking from experience, but <laughs> one mean, of my friends once said... <laughs> I mean, I've been, I've been high before. Like, I, I'll right. just go out and say, like, I've been pretty high before, but I've never felt like my nerve endings were being crushed in a vice or i forgot how to use a fork right you kind of just giggle yeah (laughs) real happy from alleged experience you kind of just laugh and just stare off into the sky yeah but all of this stuff was for the early goal because a scientific director of edgewood in the early days who is a man named l wilson green stated that he wanted to debilitate an enemy's consciousness with psychochemical weapons and inspire terror into them because that way he could fight a more humane war. It's like this guy and Scarecrow both have the same fighting tactics. Literally, like yeah. Scarecrow from he, the Batman he series. He is a Batman villain. <laughs> Legit. Another case of a volunteer being exposed to nerve agents was that of a man named John Ross. He was given a dose of a highly persistent nerve agent called Soman. When the needle was already in his arm, he overheard the doctor say that they were giving him something lethal. During the test, he began convulsing and vomiting. And as he began to panic, one of the observers told him, We gave you a little too much. Ross then became rigid and was taken to a hospital where he recovered, but he suffered from insomnia and depression for years afterwards. I can't imagine. It's... It's kind of like those horror stories of when you're at the dentist or you're undergoing surgery and that they start drilling or cutting and you before can feel the, it all. Feel yeah. it. Now imagine being told a little bit too much there. And you just heard before that, like the men over talk, like you overheard the them talking to each other. And arm. Yeah. And you're already, you're, it's going in <laughs> it's, and they're just like, Hey, this is lethal. Right. Like the guy's pressing the button to put the juice in. Like, oh, gave him too much. <laughs> It is also kind of comical, I guess, with this many years of hindsight, that at this advanced research facility where they have every single drug, chemical, deadly thing, they had to take him off campus to a hospital. Yeah, like, exactly. Did no one pack like well, they, anything for a hospital wing? They for didn't this even thing? have nurses on this base until Ketchum came on. He had to Jeez. hire nurses. Like, they were just flying by the oh, seat of wow. their pants. Yeah. This is all just army doc- like all army scientists and quote-unquote doctors doing all this. <laughs> they just got, like, a doctor outfit from Spirit of Halloween. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're just like, this will cover it. Mm-hmm. Look how big my stethoscope is. <laughs> 
In October of 1960 was when Ketchum officially arrived in Edgewood. He was met by Colonel Douglas Lindsay, uh, the base's chief medical officer. Douglas Lindsay was quite the character himself. According to the New Yorker, quote, Lindsay, a veteran of the Korean War and a storied army surgeon, was an athletic, small-framed man with dash-mark lips. He was known for his affectations, including a pink convertible, which he drove with the top-down, rain or shine, and a silver-tipped swagger stick made of a human fibula. He had a pimp cane? Yeah. (laughs) And a pink convertible. And a pink convertible. And the quote continues... As a master parachutist, he sometimes jumped out of a second floor window after lunch. End quote. So I mean, you, did he at least wait a half hour before just like swimming? Imagine you're taking LSD or one of these other chemical weapon tests that they've been giving these soldiers, and you just see a guy go up to a window and just jump out. That would you're freak going me to out. lose your mind. That would freak me out. Or you're gonna just think it's hilarious. Like one yeah. of the two. <laughs> You're like, did I just put into some murder? Also, where did he just get? That's just he just had a parachute on him. Like, I, I guess I think it doesn't. It never said he had a parachute. It just said he jumps out of the window. Wait, he didn't have. A, I know. I think he just jumps out of window. I don't think because it never said he had a parachute. It just said he was a parachutist. It's like <laughs> he's like mid meeting or like mid conversation. He's like, oh, sorry guys, I have my twelve. It's, I have my twelve thirty <laughs> appointment. Fucking. Burst through a window. It's, it's the meme of the guys in the boardroom meeting oh, yeah. and someone suggests something good, except he's just throwing himself out the window. Right. One time, Lindsay took the VX compound and swirled his finger in it and rubbed it on the back of a shave rabbit, which convulsed and died. And then he rimmed a martini glass with his finger with the remaining parts of it. Of of the VX. Okay, not the rabbit. Not the, he didn't just take a rabbit. It's like he's just taking Bugs Bunny's skull. <laughs> <laughs> he also suggested to a doctor that he should take a vial of nerve gas to New York to make a demonstration, to which the doctor replied, quote, If I have an accident on the thruway, I could kill thousands of people. Thousands of people. I said, No, it's that simple. <laughs> What a character. And this guy's just in charge. And he's in charge. This guy shouldn't be in charge of a blockbuster, let alone. (laughs) Think about how insane that is. Uh, Almost immediately, though, he was not the only crazy character in our cast. Is this just like an anime? These characters are wacky. Literally. Ketchum's supervisor was a man named Dr. Kazuo Kimura, a.k.a. Kaz for short. Shortly after, Ketchum met another doctor named Dr. Van Murray Sim, the man who had set up the medical research volunteer program to bring soldiers to Edgewood. Sim was a former football player, a large man who weighed nearly 300 pounds at one point, and he was like 6'5". Jeez, this guy's huge. He's a tank. And in addition to being the one in charge of the volunteer program, Sim also made a point to try all of the drugs before they could be tested on the soldiers, which would eventually grant him the highest civilian award the army had to offer. Oh my God. So to his credit, he's like, give it to me first. Right. And then give it to those guys. See, all right. I respect that a lot. I do. But this guy is also... Also built like a a huge bear. And... like certifiably as insane as Colonel Lindsay. Like, 
He's not as he's not a, like a sane person. He was actually just chasing that high. He's, man. he's like probably him and Colonel Lindsay are the two most fun characters in the story, but they did such bad things to people. Right? You want to you want to laugh at them, but like, you kind of can't. Like the first episode, this first episode has a lot of points where it's like this is just comical. Like this is goofy. But the second part, it's like that's not good. Oof, if you will. Doctors would surround Sim and administer drugs to him, and one time, Sim was heard to exclaim, I'm trying to defeat the compound. You have to have goals in life, I guess. Just this big guy hulking around like the, the is- base like with this super serious look on his face, just like gritted teeth. I'm trying to defeat the compound. He's just, try- he's just trying like, to no, 1v1 a- the, this intense drug. It's a drug. It's going to do its thing no matter whether you want it to or not. Kids, drugs always win. In another instance, Ketchum remembered running into Sim at night while he was monitoring a test. Sim was in his underwear and had applied liquid LSD to his hand, which he taped to his hand underneath a glass faceplate from a watch, and he had fallen asleep in his office after administering it to himself. <laughs> Why the no pants? <laughs> he, was, he literally fell asleep in his office like in oh, his underwear. In underwear. <laughs> but he was just like, I wonder if LSD can like, get administered through the skin. So he taped it to his hand underneath a glass, glass faceplate. Yeah. <laughs> this man Imagine is seeing insane. A hulking dude walking down the hallway towards you in his underwear. He's just like, I'm trying LSD. <laughs> you never. Oh gosh. And you're the guy like in charge of the tests, and you're like, I the don't know. I'm not going to stop you from doing this because you're obviously going to do it anyways. But but Ketchum was immediately in love with the atmosphere. But it was also a mess, as I mentioned earlier. He had to make a point of hiring nurses to help around Edgewood, as well as had to centralize all of the data that was beforehand being haphazardly filed. But it was also around the time that he joined that heavily concentrated THC doses known as red oil began to be administered to people as well. Oof. Yeah, <laughs> there is. You never want to hear, like, marijuana or THC oil. So I, I have a transcript from Ketchum's book of one of these tests, and it's, it's accompanied by pictures. They had the guys draw a figure, like a man, before they took the, the drugs. And as they went through their THC high, they had them draw the same, like, try and draw a man again. So... I will post these pictures on the Facebook group or on Twitter. Uh, the first one looks like a normal guy. Second one, it's literally a man with bat wings. And it has a speech <laughs> bubble coming off it that says, I'm Batman. I'm a fat bat. <laughs> this and, truly is. This has to be the basis of Scarecrow. And then the third one is a huge, like, round body. And then a guy wearing a hat that looks like a magician hat. Here, I'll show you the picture. Stop it. <laughs> but I will post these on, the, on our social medias if you guys want to watch or look at them. It is quite hilarious. I'm a bat. <laughs> it says, I am a fat bat. <laughs> Bro, he literally, time out, he literally drew Batman, the Joker. He drew, like, he drew better images with those two than he did with the other two. But I'm going to read wow. a little bit of the transcript of the questions that they asked this guy as he was on the drug. So it starts with the uh, person questioning him and goes back to him. So, questioner, how are you? Pretty good, I guess. Pretty good? Well, not so good, maybe. You've got a big grin on your face. Yeah, I don't know what I'm grinning about either. (laughs) Do things seem funny or is that just something you can't help? I don't... 
I don't know. I just, I just feel like laughing. Every, everything seems funny. It seems like one thing about everything seems funny. And it's got, well, something that sticks out in my mind. How do you mean? I don't know. We drew pictures a little while ago. My buddy drew one, and I drew one later on. <laughs> and then it just says laughing uncontrollably. And then he, he finishes that with saying, that's not even funny. <laughs> <laughs> that, is so, that is so great. So this guy was high as a kite. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, that's like when you're in... Like when you're in a serious situation, you're not supposed to laugh. Yeah. And then it's all you can physically do is laugh. Yeah. Now, not all testing at Edgewood was psychochemical. Scientists there also developed Kevlar protective vests, uh, early basis for cancer chemotherapy, and a discovery was made there about surfactants in the lungs that helped save thousands of premature infant lives. The Kevlar one is wild. Like, where... Yeah how like what was there that you're just next like you're next to like 10 guys that are high on acid trying to march in a line and then literally 10 feet away there's just a guy getting shot (laughs) (laughs) getting shot and then the shooter's like you good it's the super trooper scene where he shoots him in the chest (laughs) good enough to fuck Fuck your your mother mother. what an what an incredible movie what an insane scenario Uh, yeah but all going on this all happened in maryland yeah like Shout out Maryland. But all of these like actual good things that they did seem to be side mentions for Edgewood because there's a lot of bad things going on around it, as you can imagine. I mean, just with the whole notion of chemical and like biological warfare and like these constant tests, I mean, this has just been done. Like I know probably MK Ultra and this one are probably the most popular ones would you agree i mean they're the most like large in scope i would say sure and i mean this one's probably the best documented because we still have all the videos and all like literal documentary catch him because the uh catchatorian when he was doing his reporting for the new yorker went to visit catch him at his home and he literally just had an entire room stacked with binders of all of the files and stuff from Edgewood when he was working there. Jeez. So he had all of the firsthand reporting that he needed on this. But Oh my gosh. But like some other examples of of this was actually occurred during the same time period as this. So roughly like nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, uh primarily during of course the Cold War which include the Korean War, Vietnam War. Uh, and there's also kind of a popular movie that features a, it's, I think it's, they're called like the Seventh-day Adventists or like Baptists who just wouldn't like fight to kill, essentially. Sure. Um, and I forget what the name of, I think it's Hacksaw Ridge. Okay. Where the guy's like a medic, he's a Baptist, he's, he's committed uh, to not fighting and not killing, so he basically just earns accommodations for saving people. Whatever, he's like a war hero because he did like actually go to war, do like medical stuff. However, a lot of like thousands of people in the same situation who got drafted into fighting in these wars weren't really that lucky. And when I mean not that lucky, they were guinea pigs for the testing of vaccines of biological weapons. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which included basically everything that we're talking about. Yeah. Both specifically and the... So uh, this source is livescience.com. 
uh, specifically 2,300 young Seventh-day Adventists for a 20-year period, um, or throughout a 20-year period, were given these minor vaccines of these intense biological weapons. Somehow none of them died, but they spent like weeks of just being in such deep agony. Yeah. Because you just got injected with like an extremely serious biological weapon. And people thought the COVID vaccine was bad. Bro, that makes me... We don't have to get onto that. <laughs> like, I'm so glad that we do this show just because I think that we have a lot of context. Yeah. Uh, just with like prior things that have happened in history. Like, if the government was going to put microchips in everyone, they would have done a little bit more slyly than, <laughs> than having a giant rollout. Right. Um, but other examples, again, with the military, and this is actually one that's kind of ongoing, uh, of course, with the U.S. military being a true global force, fighting force, uh, they have to find a way to have people, like soldiers, not sleep, ranging from like pilots, ranging from truly just boots on the ground, people fighting for, for days on end, because military operations can go for weeks Yeah, uh, with insane circumstances insane surroundings so multiple branches of the military are apparently and allegedly doing experiments with what's known as a go pill which basically stimulates excuse me which basically stimulates your amphetamines making you fully awake for 40 hours and as of right now there aren't any stray, or excuse me, there aren't any like ill effects, like long term effects. <laughs> Does of not this. sound good. <laughs> no, but and of course, like people theoretically can stay awake for forty yeah. hours. They'll be very tired and very exhausted. Like with this, imagine, I guess, Adderall, but like super duper Adderall. Yeah, where you're Adderall awake Pro. and like Adderall Pro. Follow our Patreon to get Adderall. <laughs> but like you're super awake, super alert even, and able to fight, like do physical activities for 40 hours straight. And it's currently something that is under, under development, allegedly. That one's kind of cool. That one's sick. Even though, I don't know, I love sleeping, so not interested. Same. But back to Edgewood. Uh, amidst all of the uh, psychochemical experiments going on there, Ketchum remembered walking into his office and finding an oil drum-sized barrel in the corner. Nobody told him why it was there, or what it was, but eventually he opened it and found vials of LSD, an amount which Ketchum later valued around $1 billion in street value, and said it was enough to get several hundred million people high. But by the end of the week, the barrel had vanished just as quickly as it had arrived, and he never asked what it was for and never found out. So that's, that's what led to MKUltra, correct? I, maybe. Right? Isn't that, oh, that's, we don't know like, where that went? No, he said it just showed up at his office one day, he opened it, saw it was inside, and then like two days later it was gone, and he has no idea where it went or what it was for. What an insane thing to misplace. <laughs> the, <laughs> right? The U.S. Postal Service really goofed that one. We're just going <laughs> to store this here. <laughs> like, what if it was just, that's kind of ballsy of him also to just open that up. Like, that could have just been Saren. Well, it was just sitting in his office for like a week. Oh, he's yeah? Just, he's just like, well, what is in this? <laughs> no one is knows. Is this for me? <laughs> right. 
but enough to get several hundred million people high. That's so much acid. In one barrel. Yeah. Ugh. Eventually, the testing focused on a pharmaceutical drug intended for ulcer therapy known as BZ. Small amounts of this drug were said to induce mental disorder in a person, so higher doses triggered full delirium, which left men with no memory after the effect wore off. And to add to how strong this drug was, the effects lasted for up to three days. That's way too long. It's stronger than LSD for the most part, and it lasts for three days. Ah, there's... like. There's truly no coming back from that. Like it, you're gonna be a little scarred if that mentally. Goes any if that goes bad in any way, you're, oh, you you're die. Screwed. Like, three days. Ketchum, before running into Sim in his underwear, was observing two men on BZ. One of them was shouting into a water pitcher, thinking that it was a well that someone had fallen into. Oh my god. <laughs> the man then took a bite out of a non-existent chicken leg and commented that it was rubbery. Men on the drug would exhibit rapid mumbling and picking at objects both real and imaginary. Some men would see vivid hallucinations, see rubbery chicken leg, <laughs> or a small baseball game being played on the table in front of them, or animals appearing in the room with them. One volunteer stated, quote, I had a great urge to smoke, and when I thought about it, a lit cigarette appeared in my hand. I could actually smoke the cigarette, end quote. And you probably, oh, wow, we probably like felt like the burn. And yeah. That is so vivid. Imagine being that high. <laughs> we talked last episode uh, during the sleep paralysis section, just how vivid and how you can truly feel like all those different things in dreams. Like LSD is basically just your dreams kind of yeah, coming, literally coming to life while you're awake. Makes those receptors in your brain act a little better for everything. That so. is so crazy that that's just something that a dude in a lab made. Yeah, but one dude literally said he saw like a small baseball game being played on the table in front of him. Do you think that he lost bets on that baseball? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that's me because I'm just so cold. Like with doing just like minor like DraftKings bets, I would lose money on that game. Yeah, I mean, naturally. But there was one guy that said he saw a bunch of spider, like millions of big spiders in the room. And he's like, I'm not scared of spiders, but the sheer size of these spiders terrified me. That would be the worst. Yeah. Catch and then him. that lasts for three days. Yeah, exactly. Three days. 36 hours straight. Or, well, four, 72 hours straight. I was straight. about to say, yeah, a little bit more. <laughs> Ketchum eventually had padded cells built to house volunteers on BZ since they would get aggressive towards the end of their drug experiences. Some men said that they saw imaginary murderers chasing them, or bugs, or worms, or thought that their skin was covered in blood. Oy. One man broke a wooden chair and tore down a 28-square-foot section of padding, and it took three assistants to subdue him. These guys are so that's like feeling you're invincible, but actually being not, invincible. Not only a danger to themselves, but everybody else. In May of 1962, Ketchum oversaw the setup of a full Hollywood style set to look like a communication outpost that had inch thick padding on the walls and two inch foam rubber carpeting to minimize possible injuries during a test. And this test is one of the more insane ones. Oh man. 
This test consisted of sending four men into this fake communications post, giving three of them varying doses of BZ, and giving the final man a placebo. Oh, being the sober one at the party. And he look, like, he sees all of these other men like having vivid hallucinations of things happening. So imagine that. You're probably going to think you're going insane. Oh, yeah. You're probably thinking that you're having these hallucinations as well. Yeah. But just like you're hallucinating them doing things. At this point, when the drugs took effect, the observers would radio messages to the men and observe from the outside. Once the drugs were noticeably in effect, the observers triggered an alarm indicating that there was a chemical attack. The three men put on their gas masks, but the man who took the highest dose of BZ, who also happened to be the smallest person in the group, was far too confused to try and protect himself. In Ketchum's mind, this man was given the highest dose because he was small enough that the other men could subdue him if need be. Right. Oh my god. The test subject named Ronald Zadrozny saluted imaginary officers, stayed up all night pacing and mumbling, and tried to escape multiple times. His drug effects lasted for 36 hours. And all those hours in this communication, like fake communications room? Yeah, and there's just a giant button on the wall or a giant switch on the wall it says do not like press the switch Did just to anyone... me- just to mess with them no none of them went no. up and flipped that bad boy no but like i'm pretty sure they <laughs> said like they put that there to in like enhance the realism of the scenario i was like how does putting a giant switch on the wall make this any more real <laughs> that says do not hit me <laughs> yeah. like why would does, why? That, does that not make it less like more surreal right during a chemical attack or whatever they had like the fake attack they had coming in do they not think that that would be something someone would flip then yeah exactly eventually this test went on so long that the observers ran out of written script and had to improvise communications which eventually resorted to nonsense like poker terms such as full house and the dealer (laughs) sure (laughs) they're scientists not improvers no bz testing was eventually delayed when a man suffered quote major head trauma huge damage to the brain, end quote, during a wind tunnel test. So, like, putting them in a wind tunnel yeah. and just letting it... Because they wanted to test, because this was an aerosol, so they right. wanted to test if they could, like, administer this through the air to an enemy that was down the way or right. something like that. And I'll get into a specific scenario where they talk about doing that in the next episode, where they find a Russian ship off the coast of Alaska, mm-hmm. and they're like... We could probably just send a giant cloud of BZ at them and then incapacitate the whole ship. And then they quickly realize that does not going to work. I was going to say, that has to be such a... Because it's a gas, so it can just go everywhere. Out. Like, you can't control a gas unless it's in a tube. Yeah, you, you would think Big that, scientists over here. That would be the first thought, but it took them a while to figure that out. While this was happening, LSD was truly beginning to make its presence known around Edgewood. Van Murray Sim, the... Uh, giant hulking football player who taped LSD to his hand would start to dose people with LSD without warning them because he he believed (laughs) that the subject's expectations of the drug would taint the results of their testing. So he needed to use a quote, loose protocol. Didn't you mention that they would put it in water? Yep. Right. So he, he would mix it into cocktails at parties 
he dosed an entire army unit's water supply and even snuck it into a commanding officer's morning coffee. Oh, this guy, that one was personal. This guy is a loose cannon. Yeah, you, he's just drugging people left and right. And what you like can't, superior officers. you can't confront him about it because he's going to be on some sort of drug and he's huge. huge. He's yeah. tearing apart the base. <laughs> like, how are you going to stop that guy? But this is reminiscent of uh, MK Ultra in the mm-hmm. Frank Olson case, where yeah. they went to like that cabin and all got dosed with LSD without their knowledge, and then he went insane and they threw him out of a window. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly, I was about to say. <laughs> man, listen back to the MK Ultra one. Those were, were top tier episodes. It's a trip, man. Yeah. Men would feel euphoric, followed by depression, anxiety, and panic, while others just liked it. But the effects would vary in very crazy ways. According to my math, and I, <laughs> I spent like my entire lunch break at work trying to figure out the math behind LSD dosages so that I could try and figure out like how much they're actually giving these guys. And the dosages would range greatly because some men were given normal healthy doses while others like in the astronaut class would be given like five to a hundred times more than a normal dose of LSD. And one dosage quoted in the New Yorker, some men were given 16 micrograms per kilogram of LSD. And if I did do my math correctly, which I very well could not have done my math correctly, but I think if I did do it correctly, a high dosage now is just 200 micrograms Mm -hmm. of LSD, like for psychotherapy and stuff like that. But I tried to convert that to micrograms per kilogram. And based on my math... The 16 micrograms per kilogram that they were giving them at Edgewood is nearly seven times stronger than a recommended strong dosage of LSD today. So they were just kind of pumping everything in. Oh, yeah. There is one soldier that they gave like a hundred times the amount to, and there's a video of him in the Bad Trip to Edgewood documentary, and he's literally just sitting at a table laughing, and they interview him as an older guy, Mm -hmm. and he's just like, "I, I couldn't stop laughing. I literally had no idea why I was laughing. I just i had a headache but i was just laughing the whole time i Things don't know were why just hilarious. oh my god that's so scary literally not in control of yourself yeah ah oh, that's scary i don't like that one bit and at this 16 microgram per kilogram dosage it was reported that subjects couldn't repeat a short sentence occasionally vomited and hyperventilated and exhibited signs of hypertension one man said that he saw quote horrible green-eyed monsters end quote all around him while another felt like his body had a constant flow of electricity running through it. Some testimonies admitted that when tests were being done on people who had slightly paranoid tendencies, they became completely psychotic. Oy, man. One man who was dosed with LSD reported that he was scared about his self-control and had intense sexual feelings towards the nurses taking his pulse. The same man also later reported that he heard some of the male personnel talking in the voices of the female nurses, believing them to be female nurses in disguise. So dude was horny. (laughs) And high as fuck. And high as fuck, yeah. (laughs) But I forgot to mention this earlier. Colonel Lindsay, I believe it was, had a quote that said, like, these men, even though they were high enough, like this high, if we sent them out to battle with guns, even if they saw the enemy as, like, purple monster like giant purple monsters they could still recognize them as an enemy which means that they would still shoot at that enemy it wasn't to a situation where they were incapacitated enough that they wouldn't kill someone 
Did they test, did they give these people guns and like have them test it out? No, but he like realized he's like, if these people still like are tripping balls and see people as like these giant monsters or like giant spiders, you're still going to want to kill that giant monster or spider. Right. So it's not like you're making a war without killing. You're just making them kill something else. Oh man. Which I guess if you're trying to like get rid of PTSD from killing people, maybe killing a giant monster is a better way to do that. But sure, yeah. there's also a Black Mirror episode where they make all of the soldiers see like the people that are no- like these normal people as like werewolves or giant creatures. Yeah. And then once the guy's like neural transmitter wears off and he starts seeing them as people, he's like, why are we killing all these people? Yeah. Oh, my so God. So then he's just traumatized. So I guess it's not good either way. Black Mirror, man. What a show. Like that is an acid trip of a show. Yeah. But it wasn't only at Edgewood that these tests took place, because while these were going on, Van Murray Sim asked if he could take the tests out into the public as well as overseas so he could get more real-world data on what these tests were actually doing. And it is with those tests, as well as the lasting effects that the Edgewood tests had on the volunteers, that we will pick up in part two of our Edgewood series. Man, I am excited for part two. It's going... We're taking... Taking the show on the road. Literally. But it's going to be way more depressing oh, than this episode. Like, this yeah. episode's got a lot of fun in it. Like, mm-hmm. guys seeing little baseball players on the table. Right. Like, <laughs> but, guy naked, taking LSD, yeah. taped to his hand. And Pretty funny. In the, like, outdoor tests, when they would have people, like, try and march and stuff like that, there was a quote, a passage in uh, Ketchum's book about a BZ, guy on BZ who was yelling at an air conditioning unit in a window because he thought that someone was like yelling for help out of the window. Oh, gee. <laughs> so like, it was just bzzz. yeah. So he was doing bad. Oof, man, man, that is crazy. So I will post a lot of. I'll try and post throughout the week some of the pictures and stuff of the like written the pictures of the fat bat and stuff like that uh, on our wizard. social medias, so I can give you guys a little more of a visual aspect of this. And if you do want to see a lot of this footage, you can watch a bad trip at Edgewood. It has a lot of first-hand videos and stuff like that, like the guy on PCP running through the obstacle course, which is hilarious, but also like, dad, that he's guy, not there. That guy had no idea what he was signing up for. No, not one bit. So yeah, if you guys want to follow us on our social medias, which Evan will list for you now. On Twitter, we are at gems underscore history, and then on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok, we are at gems of history podcast, and also on Facebook. At the Agora, uh, it's a Gems of History dis- discussion group on Facebook, <laughs> um, where we just post, and you know, that's how we engage with the community. So follow us on all those social medias and get in touch. Yeah, and if you've ever had like a really vivid drug trip and you want to tell us like what a normal like a relatively normal dosage gave you visions of compared to like yeah what these guys saw on like a hundred times more acid like see how it compares to what you should normally see <laughs> yeah <laughs> that might be good honestly yeah right in we'll definitely keep it anonymous and unless you don't of, care and you want it to be known yeah, that you're, like, yeah, sure <laughs> at these intense strips but yeah that's all we got for you guys this week we will be back with part two and we might have a little bit of bonus content coming uh ooh, ooh. next week depending on whether we can organize stuff and get it all done beforehand but we will be back with more Edgewood content. Uh, guys, don't trust your government. Do not trust your government, There's kids. a lot of bad things that they did. <laughs> hey, yeah. In between, you know, the whole historical war crimes against Native American peoples and people of color, 
also drugs. And if you want like any more evidence, just go listen to Ruby Ridge. We did a whole three-parter on it. Right, yeah, (laughs) yeah. But yeah, you guys out there all have a great week. We hope you guys are doing well. And everyone stay polished, you know? You guys are the real gemstones. Mm Mm-hmm.